With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, week before everyone goes on vacation for at least a little while, hopefully, week. Yeah, for those who celebrate, Merry Christmas. For those who don't, Merry Almost Camping World Bowl. and uh, Belated Happy Hanukkah. Belated Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa in advance, Happy Jim Beheim Might Have an Aneurysm week based on how this offense is playing yeah <laughs> we'll start um, we'll, we'll start there because we're going to move on to football uh for, for those for those planning ahead we're starting with a little bit of basketball and then we're going to move on to uh to signing day as well as the camping world bowl we won't be recording an episode during uh the week of christmas uh just because of the days of the week and everything it just became too complicated so we're just doing this instead please bear with us um Dan, your thoughts after uh, the most frustrating loss to date for Syracuse? Uh, not great. I think we knew ODU was pretty good. Um, I saw that line like creeping up towards Syracuse, and I actually almost thought about betting against Syracuse just because I thought that ODU was not getting enough credit. Um, that being said, Syracuse should not be losing to ODU at home <laughs> ever. Right. Um, it was a very disappointing loss. I think it really outlined the problems that we kind of knew the team already had. Obviously, like we had some decent recent wins, but the issues have not gone away. Uh, Tyus is the only one who is consistently having strong performances now, and even he, um, you know, he was only five for twenty-four. He got to the line a bunch, which was good. Frank still not one hundred percent, still struggling. I mean, he's not really t- like looking for a shot at all, but did hit two threes now. down a lot. He did hit two threes, which was nice. Um, O'Shea Brissett had a really quiet game again. He's, I think, been very concerning. I think his play might be the single most concerning part of the season so far. And you can take that on the bright side because, like, we know what he can do. We know the kind of player he can be. So, like, hopefully uh, he rebounds. But, um, yeah, he just hasn't been the same guy. I mean, I think it's not that controversial to say he was better last season to this point. The center position is a major issue. I kind of think we might need to just start rolling with Dolajai there, even if you don't want to start him. I think, like, based on and without looking at like, uh, like roster plus minus or anything, um, he's more effective. I don't have access to that. I kind of feel like we just might need to roll small because he's been the most effective fifth player on the team um, for the most part. And obviously, you're gonna need Chuku and and Sidibe for their fouls and for some time, but. Like, I do think the team looks the best when Dolzhai is involved and when he's playing, and your other four best players are the four perimeter guys. So uh, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, I think Bayham will make that move if he needs to. I think he's going to be a little reluctant to do it because he does have a seven foot two center who has shown at times over the last couple years that he can be effective, but he just has not been effective this season. Yeah, he had like a one game like stretch where I think he had like eight points or so earlier in the year. But like you look at the line in this ODU game, Chuku and Zabibi uh, combined for 32 minutes. They were 0 for 1 from the floor. They were 0 for 2 from the free throw line. They had a total of seven boards. Uh, I've got two blocks, a turnover, and four personal fouls. Dolajai, 1 for 2 field goals. 
Uh, six boards, two assists, one steal, one foul. I think it's very clear based on the numbers who the more effective player is. Yeah, and obviously that's not like even a great game from Marek. And, no. and he, even if he doesn't play anymore, like any more than he is now, he needs to be more assertive, I think. Um, he's a very good passer. He's shown a little bit of a jump shot. I think he's a very cerebral player. He does really good things on defense. Obviously that Georgetown uh, charge that he took was huge. So like either way, I think we need to see more. If we, we need to see him get more himself more involved. But um, even when he's not like looking for his shot or anything, he is still, I think, the best option of the five for at least the majority of minutes. I'm not saying he needs to play 40 minutes there, but I, I do think we need to see him at least playing like 25 to 30 minutes a game in the middle because I just think that's the best lineup we can roll out there right now. And hopefully, uh, hopefully Sidibe and, uh, and Shuku can, can start to eat into that and prove that they deserve those minutes because right now they are just holes on uh, at the five. And, and I hate to say that because I do think we've seen really good things from them in the past. Chuku had some really nice games in the, in the, and so they tournament run last year. Uh, Sidibe obviously had that huge pit game. Um, we know they can play season. on offense. We know they can play. Yeah, and and neither one's ever going to be like a number one option, but you know they're they're can be effective like uh, screen and roll players, and they can do some things uh, in general. And this is not happening right now, so um, we're getting to the point where we need to like start winning all these games that we need to win. Like we're I'm not like going to freak out and say this team's definitely not making the tournament or going to be on the bubble or whatever. Like there's so much basketball to be played, but in order to win, like, you know, the meat of the ACC schedule, you, you can't be messing around just because one dies 7-2 or, or, you know, one lineup what's better on paper than, than others. Like, get your best five out there most of the time and, and play around that. And we do know Beheim will cut down his rotation uh, without much thought of, like, or care about, like, worrying about someone's playing time. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some move soon. Um, I just hope that uh, they are kind of forward-thinking and, and he – and he can find a way to do the best out of these guys because right now it, it has been consistently uh, an issue. Yeah, I mean, this isn't to bash Bayheim by any means, um, but I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's never been an offensive coach. Um, I think this team has not necessarily in recent years looked to address that shortcoming, and most of the time the defense is good enough that it doesn't really matter. Defense is still pretty good this year. Um, advanced metrics show that, base numbers, raw numbers show that, but like... There's just so much regression. Dolajai won't attack. Frank can't attack, it seems. So you basically are left with battle. Uh, Brissette is taking too many shots from outside. Uh, Elijah Hughes is largely an option on the wing, though he's been able to draw free throws. Um, and that's really it. Shuku, as you said, kind of a black hole on offense. Same with Sadibi. Like, those two guys have regressed significantly on both ends. Um, I know, like, a couple weeks ago, uh, Dylan on the site uh, kind of looked at, you know, how, the, how they were how all three players that could play at the five were uh, performing on both ends. And, you know, the exchange on the defensive end really wasn't that much. Um, I know that Beheim kind of scoffed at the idea of Dolajai at the five uh, for a long-term uh, solution, but it might have to be. Um, and I hope that, you know, he at least gives it a shot and maybe some of these uh, lesser games, but there really aren't a lot of lesser games left on the schedule. Um, I mean, ODU was no pushover, but... ODU showed like what happens when when this team can't play on offense. Like there's there there's just far too much reliance on battle. I mean, there's been a lot of conversations about this in the last couple of days. I do think this offense is significantly worse right now than it was last year. Just because at least last year we knew like you know Frank wasn't always the most accurate, but he was a quality enough shooter. Battle was going to be. I think battles 
pretty much been what we've asked him to be. And Brissett, like as you mentioned before, like is worse than he was last year at the moment. Um, I don't know what happened with his mechanics um, over the offseason. Even the first couple games of the season, he was pretty good. Um, but he's just he seemingly abandoned a lot of the things that, that were so critical to his success uh, as a freshman. So yeah, right right now, like if we're not going to give Carey more minutes, um, if Buddy Beheim's not going to be able to rise to the challenge, then it's it really has to once again fall to like one of just a small handful of players. And I think you know SU uh, becomes much much easier uh, to, to game plan for when you know that Battle's already the only guy that you definitely have to plan for uh, as an offensive threat, while everybody else is is, is, is just a question mark. Yeah, and, and it's not. We hope we, we hope that he could be more efficient, and also uh, we could get more from these secondary guys. And Brissett would take a leap forward. And we, you know, kind of thought that uh, we might see Brissett turn into like an NBA type player this season. And I know there's a question right now already of like whether he could even leave based on the start. Obviously, there's still a ton of time left, but right. um, he just doesn't seem to have added. Doesn't seem to have added like a ton to his. Uh, Arsenal. It seems like he's mostly the guy that we had last year. So the guy last year was also a freshman who was still like kind of finding his way into the rotation. And for that reason, he was a little bit more or a little less willing to, to take a, a big shot or like look for himself, which we, we were hoping that we'd see a more aggressive percent this season, but it's turned into like more, more aggressive, but also way, way less efficient. Um, he's not getting the line as much. I don't think this season as he was last year, which was a huge asset where he could really, kind of bully guys and get them into foul trouble. He's also um, a bit less accurate from, from free throw line, I believe, when he has uh, gotten in. That feels right. Uh, let me look. Yeah, we got, uh, yeah, 69%, a, a, a very not nice percentage in this case versus 78. He was at like 79 last year. Yeah, that's I, that's a huge step back in one of the easiest uh, aspects of the game. Like, this is just, it's it, it's a ill-time regression um, He's actually shooting better from the field overall, but the temper, the ten percent, the full ten percent, worse than the line. And he's it's actually weird. He's taking basically the exact same breakdown of shots. He's he's taking like actually a slight uptick in in total shots. He's taking the exact same amount of threes and making a slight slightly fewer. Um, it's the free throws that's the biggest issue, and he's averaging the exact same amount of points as he was last year. So like raw numbers wise, it, it doesn't look. A lot worse, but when he's but it, it just feels like you expected him to to really take a big step up, and that hasn't happened. Um, and he's also rebounding. He's he's been less effective rebounding, even though he's uh, you know he was kind of a monster there. This year he's been a little more consistent. Uh, again, like he's young. Um, it's only a sophomore year. Uh, it does seem like uh, he is kind of looking for his own number a little bit more, which isn't the worst thing if he starts playing better, but. Hopefully he's let the game come to him a little bit because we do need him to be the player he showed last season. But the fact that he's a he's only a sophomore and that we've seen him play well makes me think like, you know, we, we can count on him a little bit more. And he was he was pretty hot in these last four wins before the ODU game. So if he reverts back to like the, the player we saw in North Northeastern, even like uh, the Cornell game, um, he had a, a, a solid if not great game in Ohio State in limited minutes. Like there were some good signs, but in the losses he's and. and you know, earlier in the season and this week, like you kind of saw where the issues are. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that like there's, I think the boards is really, you know, where this team is most concerning. Um, not because I, I think the offense is fine because it's not, but if you just take a look at the boards, like BJ Stith is a guard and did whatever the hell he wanted 
on the glass. I think team after team, no matter you know what level they seem to be at, talent wise, are able to to just completely you know abuse us on, on the boards and and ha- having guys like Chuku and Sidibe who are who are tall um, only has advantages if they're actually able to to collect those rebounds. I think you know last year. Chuku was was rarely you know effective on offense, but he could make a basket if called upon, and was also able to be pretty effective you know rebounding. I, I think you know seeing those guys step back, seeing Brissett step back, like where we're, we're losing rebounding battles to, to teams much much smaller than us. I mean, once again, we're one of the if not the tallest team in in, in college basketball, and yet we're, we are woeful collecting missed shots. I just I don't I don't understand it. I'm not going to understand it. Um, I'll also think that it's going to wreak some havoc um, against Buffalo on Tuesday. Yeah, that is a big spot of the rare game where we have a chance to uh, play an undefeated team at the Dome, a top 15 team at the Dome, um, and one that is from the MAC Conference and not a Power 5 league. But Buffalo's legit. I mean, I think we all saw um, that Buffalo, the win over West Virginia earlier in the year. C.J. Massenburg is a very, very good player. They have four double-digit stores. They are not a great shooting team, but uh, they have a couple guys who knock him down, Massenburg especially, who hits a lot of big shots. He's kind of their tightest battle, uh, not to make like a very like lazy comparison, but he's a senior guard, just hits like, a ton of just huge clutch shots. Uh, they are a strong scoring team. They shoot pretty well from the field. So uh, this is a, it's a pretty scary bunch. Yeah, I mean, they play at pace, so there's, there's the potential that... You know, they, they can't do exactly what Old Dominion did, if only because Old Dominion chose to play the same sort of grinded-out style that we did. But yeah, I mean, Massenburg is is one of the best gunners in the entire, in like in all of college basketball, and and he's he's rightfully made a name for himself. You know, with and plus putting up seventeen and seven a game, like he's somebody who SU is going to be able, who's going to have to get a body on, and and if they choose to focus on him a little bit more and let the other guys score, the problem is here. It's not like some of the other teams we faced, like between Nick Perkins, Jeremy Harris, uh, Javon Graves. Like, these are all guys. I mean, even Devonta Jordan. Like, all these guys can score, um, and they're averaging 85 points a game. Like, SU can't necessarily win a track meet, um, and, and Orange fans should be very, very concerned about this game because not only because not only would it mean we're 7-4 and four and off to you know a pretty terrible start, but... Uh, would also really prevent us from being able to do much more in, in, in non-conference play that helps us out. We'd really have to rely pretty heavily on um, ACC play this time around um, if we want to make the tournament again. Now, granted, if Frank Howard you know writes the ship and he's healthy, and if this offense starts looking like even you know some semblance of what uh, we thought it could, then SU will probably be fine. We'll still be able to win ten or eleven games in the ACC and make the tournament. But like. If we're once again hanging around the bubble, I've, the resume takes a huge hit if you lose to Buffalo, too. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I don't think – even with Buffalo being in the top 15, like, I, it'll still look pretty bad if we lose to Buffalo at home. And that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate for the Bulls. It's probably unfair to them, to be honest. But people are not going to say, like, oh, they're, you know, number 14 Buffalo. They could be a five seed in the tournament with how they've played so far. Um, people are going to say, oh, you just lost to Buffalo out of the yeah. MAC, the team that tried to copy the New York State's team or whatever thing a couple of years ago. Like, it's not it's, – it's actually worse that they're local, I think, if, if we lose. And I don't think we're into that much credit if we win, no. <laughs> to be yeah. very frank. I think it's going to be a lot of that. I think it's also going to be just the fact that it's two straight uh, losses at home. 
Um, I know I mentioned this on the blog today. I think like the other issue you have to think through is that this pretty much negates, you know, the Ohio State win in a lot of ways because the Ohio State win seemed to be a, a bit of a gauge on, okay, this is what this team is when Frank's in, and then we can ignore what happened in MSG. After the, the ODU loss and after a potential loss to Buffalo, can't really say that anymore. Um, and now those losses have to count for something. Uh, so so I, I definitely think we're in significantly worse shape now. Uh, first, because of the loss to the Monarchs, and if we lose to the Bulls, um, we'll, we'll be in even, even obviously more terrible shape. Not just because of of the loss, because I don't think the I don't think this it, again. Not not to slay Buffalo. If we lose to Buffalo, I don't think these losses just count as one anymore. Uh, they start kind of multiplying onto themselves, and, and, and that's where you know SU gets in some real trouble again w- without being able to write the ship. Yeah, do, uh, I haven't looked. Do we know where uh, where they? are in the vaunted net rating like how much how much uh, advanced credit is buffalo getting so far i am looking up the net rating as we speak and buffalo is 12th okay yeah so even if like we don't get like you know dumb people credit for winning that game if, if it happens obviously and that's a very big if it could still be a really nice resume boost we had two top 25 wins yeah buffalo's legit like i i don't want to disparage buffalo at all uh, they are very legit. They, uh, they actually, I just realized they played at St. Bonnie's, who I think we are also kind of worried about that game in a couple weeks. Uh, they yeah. blew Bonnie's out at home. And Bonnie's are taking a pretty big step back this year, but they're still scary enough. They are. Play this hard. I mean, Buffalo beating San Francisco is pretty legit. USF's actually pretty good this year. You, you, well, actually, excuse me. Top twenty-five net rating USF. Are they? I didn't realize they were any good. I, I didn't. I mean, I know they're occasionally decent, but I feel like. We haven't heard them in a national conversation in a while. And then, obviously, they beat West Virginia uh, at West Virginia and looked really, really good doing it. Um, yeah, so so Buffalo's good. Uh, you need to win this game, I think. Um, I'm not going to say like they can't be the tournament if they lose this game, uh, but I think it would go a long way towards calming people down. Cause like, and, and deservedly so. Like people were very depressed after this ODU loss, and I was kind of with them. Um, I don't think it means the season's over by any means, but it's hard to, like look on the bright side after that because it was like just close enough to those first two losses that like it kind of made it seem like all the work that's been done since has kind of gone to the, to the wayside right. which is not great agreed and i mean you look at buffalo too like if you beat them i mean it, whether you beat them or not there, there's a real chance for this bulls team to potentially you know go unbeaten um i know it sounds ridiculous i know mac play always gets a little weird um but other than us they go at marquette so they got two more road games at Canisius, and then they start MAC play at Eastern Michigan. There's not a MAC team that can really match them talent-wise. Um, if they beat us, yeah, they're a potential like unbeaten or close team, and one that could potentially go, you know, top four, top five seeds. Uh, even if they lose to us, that they could still very well <laughs> win out, and that would definitely help SU. So uh, we'll see. I hope the Orange win. I hope this conversation uh, gets to everybody's earbuds. With, uh, with 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 all of this still on the table, yeah, it would it would be a nice a nice way to, to get into the the holiday season. Um, but you know, at least we're a football school now. We are a football school, and and, and on that note, uh, we're going to talk. That is a transition. That, that is a perfect segue. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about signing day before we talk Camping World Bowl um, in the second half of the episode. Um, signing day should be. I'm going to say predictable once again. SU doesn't really have a lot of like late flips um, in recent years. They've had a few late flips away. 
um, a few late additions. I know for the most part, like most on, on the content end, most of the guys that we're writing up profiles for are going to end up on the team. The likelihood of adding other guys has increased um, recently, but I, I still think this was a smaller class it was supposed to be, but it, it's one that, you know, has a couple really big names. You know, Michael Jones uh, is the top three to 400 guy, depending on who you ask. Uh, Lee Pogba's another top 400 or so guy. Cornelius Nunn's a top 500-ish guy. It's a very defensive-heavy class. It's probably not going to finish as well-ranked as last year's, um, and that's fine. I, I think that people have to view all these things with some bit of perspective. I, I think that it's, it is understandable at the same time, though, that, that people are wondering why SU wasn't able to roll a 9-3 a and three season into, into what could have been like maybe a top 40, top 45 class if a couple other bigger names could have joined this group. Yeah, it, this early signing day is kind of like reduced a lot of the drama in recruiting overall. I, I don't think SU's going to have a super dramatic day. Um, and yeah, the rankings, like, it's going to be a small class, it seems like. Uh, right now it's a small class of 16 people. Um, that's where most of the, uh, I think that's why it's ranked where it is, at like 58 and 24-7. Um, the rankings are very much based on, I mean, they're obviously the, the type of player you get, but also the, like, number of players you get. So bigger classes always do well. Um, this is a very high-quality class to, compared to what SU is used to getting. We have, obviously, uh, Michael, uh, do we know if it's Mikel or Michael? I'm going to go with Michael. Oh, or just Michael. Um, is like a composite four-star. Pogba and Nunn are both four-stars elsewhere uh, besides 24-7. If you just added in, like, four or five more median players to this class, it would be ranked in the 40s pretty solidly. It's just, like, right now, I, I don't think we have a lot of spots available, so this class is never going to be that big. Um, it also kind of seems like we're holding off for a couple guys, and we'll probably fill out uh, the rest of the group after this early signing day with, you know, people who we get involved with later or, like, late blooming recruits maybe save a couple juco spots so definitely not worth freaking out about the rankings yet if at all ever honestly um it's just not worth freaking out about yeah i mean su's had plenty of success with you know top 50 to 60 or 60 to 70 classes you know even greg robinson's terrible recruiting classes had a couple future nfl players in it you look at kansas state for years was able to succeed without top level talent um at all i know wisconsin's done the same thing like the list goes on uh recruiting rankings matter to some extent i think they're very indicative of who's going to be competing uh for national championships but when you're syracuse or most of the country and you're not competing for national championships um as long as you finish in that top 50 to 60 range as a power five school uh if you're getting the guys that you need and you want you're probably fine um this group is interesting in, in, in a few ways i think you know without going to every single player um, you have, you know, several guys from Canada. We've made some real inroads in North Carolina, some real inroads potentially in South Carolina, depending on who we're able to add. Obviously, the usual Florida contingent, D.C. Uh, Florida and D.C. have become real, real bankable, um, you know, options for us um, with this staff. I think, you know, each class has brought in one to two guys from D.C., you know, four to five guys at minimum from, from Florida. Credit to Nick Monroe in particular for being able to really get those uh that south florida pipeline going and the success of those guys uh which should continue um just helps get more um i know it's not the easiest sell to get somebody from you know states like texas or uh florida or california to come to a place like syracuse but the staff's been able to do it um i know speaking of texas 
Uh, Dorian Hewitt's another guy from Texas adding to the pipeline there. I, I think what stands out to me most notably um, looking at this class too is just you see the quality of offers. I mean, the Canada kids don't really get the same like the same amount of looks as some of the top tier U.S. guys. But no, there's not even close. Yeah. It's like shocking that any of them are three stars, to be honest. Well, twenty four seven updated them, and I think a lot of it's just like at this point, SU is a caliber where like if they're offering some guy, chances are he's good enough. And you look at like uh, Jeff Canton in particular, fourth best player according to twenty four seven that we have coming in. Matthew Bergeron's fifth. Um, but you look at the quality of these offers down the list, like. This is probably our best in, I mean, since I can even remember, um, if you look at all these kids, like pretty much everybody's holding at least a couple like big name, like Jones, Clemson, Georgia, Auburn, NC State, West Virginia, Pogba was a West Virginia flip, uh, Florida State, Maryland, Tennessee, and Duke, Cornelius Nunn had offers from Bama, Miami, Auburn, list goes on here where like these are all pretty sizable offers down the line and it's great to see. Um, you know these names improve obviously like that was that was probably our biggest critique of of the Schaefer era among other things but I think the biggest one of all was just kind of how how Mac level talent was trying to be passed off as power five uh, caliber players and and that's no knock on all those kids some of them didn't really work did really work out very well for us but plenty didn't and, and were unable to compete at the ACC level and and a lot of that's why I think you know Stars are, are important to some extent, but more important, I think, is, is this caliber of offers. And if you see a kid with three stars, say like Courtney Jackson, Courtney Jackson is like a two-star rating from Rivals for some reason. But you look at the, the offers he has, you know, uh, Kentucky, West Virginia, uh, Cincinnati, Boston College, Baylor, a bunch of others, like, or even Amon Greenwood from D.C., you know, he's got Mizzou, Michigan, B.C., Pitt, UNC, like, guys like that, if you're a three-star, chances are with those types of offers— you're probably on on the higher end of that and 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 obviously you know some really great schools with some really great resources far beyond even what we have see something see enough in you to offer you yeah a really good example of that is dylan gabriel he is a uh quarterback out of hawaii who you know there's a pretty good track record of quarterbacks out of hawaii uh of re- in recent years with uh, marcus mariota to a time to Bailoa, uh, mackenzie milton at ucf he is uh, a two-star recruit because he's from hawaii and they don't evaluate it super uh, hard, I mean, it's not that easy to get evaluated um, unless you're doing the camp circuit, which is when Tua blew up, is when he started doing the, he, you know, fly to California to do the, the camps for the sites there. Yeah. But he's down to UC, uh, USC, Georgia, and UCF. Like, if you're down to those three schools, you are not a two-star player. <laughs> um, sorry. Like, unless you're, like, a preferred walk-on or something. So while I do think the star rating system has gotten better over years, and I do think, like, if you extrapolate it out, like for a long period of time, it doesn't work out, especially on the higher end. Yeah. Um, That's where it's most accurate, the high end. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, but, but Elliot updates his piece every year where basically like, I think it's, if if you don't have what half of your uh, roster uh, being comprised of four and five stars, I don't think any team has ever won a national championship in the star rating era without half of the roster being blue chippers, essentially. Correct. And that's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of evidence behind it, but when you're talking about where Syracuse is, which is like the difference between, like the Stott Schaefer years and fighting out for nine, 10 wins occasionally and playing for decent bowl games. There's a lot of like fungible stuff in there. So right now, or 24 seven, if you go down like on like the average recruit ranking, which is like 
per player. Like we're right around like the low 40s to mid to 50 range, and we're in the same area as schools like like a UCF, which recruits at like a low power five level. Arizona, uh, slightly below BC, above Texas Tech. Uh, West Virginia, like the, our peer schools, basically Wake Forest, which is recruiting well this year, Oklahoma State. That's a, a nice jump up for where we had been under Schaefer and honestly, like Marone, who re- didn't really recruit. I mean, the rankings were never uh, kind of Marone's recruits. They were actually really kind of G Robs, if anything. But like that's generally the peer group we're going to be in, and then you hope to kind of like build yourself up from there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like. We're never going to see SU be like a top 30 recruiting class, like school. It's just not what we are, but like, that's fine. The, 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 the volume of three-star recruits is pretty vast. You're going to see a huge, like realistically, there's probably like six tiers or, or more realistically, I guess the power five level, there are five tiers, but it's more like five-star, four-star, like high three, low three, and two. And really, if you're beyond that, like you're probably not getting those offers. Yeah, it's it's just not like anything to super super worried about. It's like once you're like three star players can be like such so hit or I mean even two stars like can be so hit or miss versus like four and five stars. I think there are busts and we've had them um, in like probably a higher percentage than most. But like generally, you get a pretty good player most of the time versus the threes where you're kind of in the margin. So it's all it, it becomes way more important to identify for your coaches to be able to identify like the actual, uh, you know, diamonds in the rough there and recruiting less, uh, places that get less attention like the Northeast becomes, uh, it's, it's a challenge and it's something that Syracuse has to do well. So, um, overall, I think it'll be a positive day to like the bulk of this class locked down, uh, and not able to be poached, which is always good for us on the player side. You can make the argument. It's not great for them, but it is a system that we have. So, yeah, I think it'll be a mostly positive day for Syracuse. I would be surprised if there are any major surprises. But I know there are a couple of guys that were like kind of involved in down the stretch here. Um, although I don't know if there's anyone that's like super gonna like jump off the page for anyone. But there there, you know, there could be one or two. Yeah, I mean a couple of weeks ago we fell off the radar for Darius Robinson. Uh today Adisa Isaac uh committed to Penn State. Those were the two bigs that we uh we're still really in on. Uh there's a couple left out there. I know Cooper Dawson and Michael Dukes, both from Charleston. Uh, there's potential that if we get one, we get both. Yeah, I think I think uh, there's a decent shot of those guys. I think Octavius Brothers, uh, Dylan wrote about, or who wrote the article today. Um, uh, was, uh, what's it called, Brendan? Yes. Um, I think he was also on that list, and he, uh, I think we're right in the range for. So definitely some more, you know, nice players from areas that we want to do well in uh, that we could see by then. And then there's still plenty of time before February, and that's where you get guys who their their stocks are starting to rise. And, I mean, you see all the time, Syracuse isn't in, I mean, in any team, gets involved in January for a kid and ends up landing him a couple weeks later because they just kind of are able to really focus fire. So this class will not be a finished product by any means on the 19th, but... Um, I will be interested to see how many of you guys we plan to take overall, because I think, you know, it, a lot of it depends on NFL decisions, although I don't know there wouldn't have any surprises in that regard this year. We'll see. Um, Alton Robinson would probably be the lone, like, surprise, if anyone. Yeah, if anyone. It just, like, it actually helps that most of our players are good players are either seniors or, like, freshmen and sophomores. Um, we actually have, like, a weird... Our, our, our roster balance is interesting. <laughs> um, 
our junior class, like, there's talent there, but it's not, like, our superstars. It's, like, all, like, super young guys or, like, the, the old guys who have stuck around. Yeah, so I, I, I don't really know exactly how big a class we're going to end up taking, but I think it'll probably be on, like, the low 20s in the end of the day. And then, you know, spots open up after, and there's always, like, I feel like every year there's a couple, like, April surprises, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've had those for the last few years. I, I think right now, like, we have 16 who are definitely in. Uh, Jawar Jordan makes 17. Uh, some might recall that he was running back from Arizona who was who signed last year. He had, a, he had some nice offers from Big 12 country, Arizona, uh, but unfortunately, uh, some qualifying issues. He did qualify, so he's actually in the fold and, and, and will be uh, headed on campus. So he's not signing necessarily. Um, but as an addition here, that already gets us up to 17. Um, if we can add Dawson and Dukes, that gets us to 19. We probably won't have more than 20 to 21 spots available. Um, like you said, there's always some surprises here and there. I'm curious to see what happens. Not to speculate anything too much, but you know, guys like Devin Butler, some of the older guys um, around the roster who may have been passed up by younger options. Um, those are always players who might look elsewhere, but don't necessarily have to either. Babers is willing to play the best players, whoever they may be, whoever recruited them, whenever they got there. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But th- th- this roster is far from done shuffling. We already have one Juco in this class in uh, Darius Tisdale, who was added about a week ago. But um, likely we see one to two more um, added probably along the defensive line, if I had to guess, um, based on how much kind of trouble we've had you know, getting a ton of guys um, at that position over the years yeah it's uh, and that's also a position that's usually pretty ripe with juco talent um mm-hmm. compared to others so if you have to bring in juco guys i think it's not the worst place to have to do it and we've we've uh you know we've done a pretty nice job of identifying them this is our best d-line in a long time um which is good so if we do have to replace alton hopefully we can uh a the the, the other younger guys have developed pretty well but we can uh you know find some people to plug in Agreed. Um, all right, before we get to halftime, quick, uh, one programming note. Tulane beat uh, UL Lafayette. I will not call you Louisiana. 41-24 uh, to 24 in the Cure Bowl, uh, the same site that we'll be playing the Camping World Bowl. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Go Green Wave. Yes, for all of the, uh, the fellow Syracuse Tulane athletes that have been camping out in Tampa <laughs> for a couple weeks, congratulations to you on your first win of many there down there. And uh, hopefully you're not rooting for Penn State versus Kentucky. Although I don't really know who to root for in that. Uh, Kentucky, because I don't care about Kentucky football. I only hate Kentucky basketball. Yeah, that, that feels right. I make I make weird rules about college sports. Where there's there's plenty of schools that I hate the football team and have no problem with the basketball team and vice versa. And to be fair, Josh Allen and Betty Snell are both really, really fun. I would very much agree with that. So uh, halftime, Dan, what have you been drinking of late? Uh, it wasn't a super busy beer week for me. I did have a couple of new things. Um, I thought I had had it before, but I guess I never did. The Bel Air Sour from Brooklyn, uh, which is quite good. Like, you're pretty, you know, average good sour. Um, and it's from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, I think, is a pretty consistent producer of beer at this point. Like, most of what they do is, is rock solid. You're not going to go wrong. And then uh, I also had the Calling Double IPA from Boulevard, uh, which was very, very nice as well. Boulevard has some of my favorite beers uh this one was was good i don't think it quite stacks up to like some of their other classics uh tank nine specific or tank seven rather farmhouse specifically but it was quite good uh so i appreciate that fair enough um for me just a few uh i had from monkish uh, life is foggier 
an IPA from them, New England style, obviously. Uh, Spocket, another one of those. I grabbed four pack of that, so I mentioned that one last week as well. Also hit up a new spot, uh, Gangcraft Brewing, down in Laguna Hills in Orange County, and uh, they're like gaming themed, but great beers. Uh, had their one v one Simcoe Smash IPA. It was five and a half percent, so like super sessionable and just like really enjoyable. Uh, also had their uh, GG Easy. It was another uh, IPA from them. Um, then I've just been cruising through some Firestone Lager in the fridge. So some drinking, not a ton. Uh, the family will be in town for the holidays, so I'll probably have more to report back, as will you, I'm sure, uh, when we return from uh, from the holiday break. That is a fair bet. Indeed. Um, also, while we're here, uh, Q Sticks for Kids is still going on. Um, it had not launched yet when we last recorded, even though the episode appeared afterward. Uh, we did surpass our mark already of $14,444. We're cruising towards hopefully what ends up being at least $20,000. Uh, we are donating to a couple different organizations in particular, uh, Sports for the Kids, uh, Central Florida organization that, uh, that helps underprivileged kids um, have access to sports. Uh, it's a pretty cool charity. Unfortunately, they've had their um, offices robbed and vandalized a couple times this year. Uh, so would be great to kind of give them some relief and, uh, and, and a cool opportunity to have these kids be able to go to the uh, go to Camp World Bowl to see Syracuse hopefully beat West Virginia. Um, so if you haven't donated yet or if you want to tell your friends to donate, you can check out the link right at the top of the page on noonsmagician.com. And uh, tell them to share with everyone, and let's uh, let's get some kids to this game. I know it's it's great that SU's actually donated uh, T-shirts this time, so we'll be able to send more kids than we initially planned um, with for less money because we don't have to factor in the cost of T-shirts. Yeah, that was a really nice move by them, and it's awesome for them to uh, kind of endorse this. Not you know directly. Uh, I mean, they're not directly sponsoring it, but they're endorsing it pretty fully um, from their end. So. Very cool for, for them to come together with the site, despite, you know, obviously we're, we're critical when we need to be and we support it when we need to be. But this is something that everyone in the Syracuse family, the uh, occasionally dysfunctional family at that, uh, can all come together and help here. Um, and it was amazing that we, we kind of blew it out, I think, on, what, Friday or Saturday? We, yeah, we had, uh, we, 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 we had a $3,000 donation on, on Friday that, uh, that, that got us over the mark. Which is crazy. <laughs> That was incredible when I saw that. And, like, you know, obviously I didn't think we would hit, like, the 44,000 mark that we did the first time. The first time we had, like, it's really special energy behind it. But the fact that we were able to, to, to still, like, break through a pretty sizable, like, that's a lot of money. 15, like, we're over 15,000 right now. Really awesome. Um, and just says so much about this fan base, what it can do when it really uh, gets its energy behind uh, an awesome cause like this so really proud of everyone involved uh and you and andy have done an awesome job with with getting this tradition like this i think really kind of cements it into becoming like a tradition that we can be proud of as a fan base agreed agreed um and a shout out to paul doddle the uh the donor who put in three thousand dollars on friday was yeah uh, i mean we'd still be without him we'd, we'd be doing very well but we'd still be trying to get to the mark um again he put us over the top that's awesome. But again, just because we made it doesn't mean we're, uh, the work here is done. We're working with the charities and SU uh, to finish out these uh, these donations very soon. Um, but moving on to the actual Camping World Bowl, which the children will be uh, watching. As we all know, Will Greer not playing. Um, that automatically lowers the odds for West Virginia. But people don't seem to be all that low on Jack Allison. 
I think that the initial line of around seven, seven and a half was a bit high, um, especially on a neutral field. I think that the fact that West Virginia is kind of still favored um, is puzzling. But you look down the injury report for Syracuse, um, still haven't seen Trill Williams of practice, still haven't seen Ravian Pierce of practice. Um, a couple other names. I think Dem Clark is on that list, too, of, uh, of guys we haven't seen a ton of in practices so far. Um, I have some good faith that, that, that they'll be ready to go. I think Williams obviously being the most critical. Pierce we just didn't really see as much of um, as we thought, but I do think he's still pretty critical to, uh, to you know, pass blocking in particular. Um, and I do hope that all these guys were able to get on the field for a bowl game this year. Yeah, it'd be kind of a shame. Um, obviously, like, Trill will be here for a while. He's a true freshman, but you want to see him him in there. And, and just you want to have, like, a full complement of, ter- of players, even if West Virginia is significantly shorthanded with Will Greer out, which I think is something that we we all kind of, like, thought was a, a pretty good chance of happening, um, which made the initial the initial betting line of 7.5. I know they can't, like, fully take into account him being out without him actually announcing it, but, like, I put in a quick bet on Syracuse when it when it came out that high on uh, a line. This is I thought like there was at least like a twenty five to thirty percent chance of Wilder not playing, and then once the their offensive tackle, their left tackle, uh, decided not to play, um, that pretty much cemented it because like you don't want to like the Syracuse pass rush is really good. You do if you're Wilder, I totally get the decision, especially like without that I defending your blind side versus a very motivated Syracuse team with a good pass rush. Like that is not something I want to be involved with. So. Yeah, I think uh, I get why the line isn't like totally flipped like all the way, but I, I am a little bit surprised that West Virginia is still even what like a one and a half point favorite. Like, uh, I would be like, well, I I feel very good about Syracuse in this game to be honest. Like, I think I think we have the clear motivation edge, which is huge in these bowl games. Um, I think we'll have like closer to a full a full roster in terms of uh, like our sub players. I don't know. We haven't heard from David Sills yet, right? From West Virginia side? We haven't, but I feel like if we haven't heard from him at this point, he's probably playing. Yeah, it seems like he'll probably play. And he still has, I think this is his last year, I think he still has, like, you know, he could really improve his stock uh, a bit because he's, you know, kind of a tweener um, possession receiver guy. So less, like, just, less of stuff to jump off the, off the paper at you aside from his, like, really, really gaudy stats. But I can see why he would want to play to really help himself out. Um but either way, like, I feel pretty good about Syracuse in this matchup. Just, like, oh, the bowl games are such weird things because there's, like, a three- to four-week gap between them and the last game. There are guys who now sit out for, for good, very good reasons a lot of the time. There are unexpected injuries. We have, like, the whole weird thing where we could actually see Abdul Adams um, play uh, and a couple other guys, I think, who are now eligible. Yeah, and Tristan um, Jackson. Tristan Jackson. I don't know how much they will because it's kind of weird to – to like go from not playing all year to then like becoming a huge part of the game plan, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a couple carries if if Babers thinks he can win the game and help out. It's a very strange wrinkle I hadn't thought of at all, but it makes sense if the semester's over, like they've kind of served their year off. Um, but overall, like it's hard to like just like look at the two teams how they did over the year and like know the whole picture in terms of what the bowl game will look like. But I do think all of those like outside factors do seem to favor Syracuse here. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, if you look at just like the just the stats for West Virginia, like there there are a lot of indicators. Not like there's no way that Syracuse loses this game, but there are a lot of indicators that say that SU is in pretty good shape. I mean, the running game, good, not great. They average four point six yards a carry. That's fine, but 
you know, only 1,785 yards on the ground. They did have 21 touchdowns. They did a much better job of taking advantage of, uh, you know, the red zone than we did, like most teams did, to be honest, based on just how SU's been in the red zone of late. But no real, like, you know, lethal back. I mean, Kennedy McCoy is good. Uh, he averages 5.7 uh, a carry. Like, in general, like, these top backs are good, but uh, none of them are necessarily game breakers. SU is really defensively only suffered when, um, you know, a, a team has had, you know, a, a couple really, really good running backs or at least one, you know, all-league running back the way Clemson did with, uh, you know, Etienne. I think you look at Notre Dame maybe as a blueprint for how a team could beat us differently. Um, but again, that still required Ian Book out there and, and Book obviously being a very good quarterback. Jack Allison might be a decent quarterback, but he's not going to be at the level of Book. He's definitely not the level of Greer either. So despite the fact that Gary Jennings and David Sills and Marcus Sims are all playing um, for West Virginia, it's going to be a question of whether Allison can get the ball to those guys when the SU pass rush is going to really be bearing down. Like, SU was happy to force teams to beat us through the air. Um, where we got into trouble was teams beating us on the ground. So uh, if West Virginia gets down early um, and is forced to throw, like that's where Syracuse's uh, secondary has thrived when they have you know teams taking risks and, and, and opportunities to potentially flip the field. Um, I, I do really like our chances here, and, and I think that you know any any SU fan has every right to be at least a little confident of what the orange can do. I know West Virginia didn't have a great, um, oddly, I feel like if you're in an air raid type league and you're playing an air raid type offense, that you're going to have more opportunities, but you know, 23, uh, sacks, they've allowed 24. So like considering how much they throw the ball, I'm actually surprised that they didn't allow more sacks. I'm actually surprised that they didn't, um, tally more sacks themselves based on how much teams in the, the big 12 throw the ball. So, I, I'm very curious to see, you know, that matchup in particular is what happens in the trenches. I think if SU can dominate that, I think that should really, you know, seal the game for them uh, even pretty early. Yeah, it is actually interesting because West Virginia, like, they're definitely, like, more of a spread out area team. But they've run the ball, like, they're passing and running is only 407 attempts to 389. So it's not super far out of whack. And they have, as you said, like, three running backs who have gotten a, a good amount of carries. None of them have, like, really exploded but they've all been pretty effective uh without having like a true game breaker um so but the the, the question will be like i don't think west virginia is going to i mean they could they have had a lot of time to prepare but i don't see them shifting their offense all to be like this way more run heavy unit i think you're gonna try to play your game with allison in there um right. especially because so much of this is like getting him now ready to be presumptively the starting quarterback next season i assume that's the plan you you kind of want to run your run your stuff so i'm definitely fine seeing him out there but um i do think the game will be in his hands largely uh and that is like you said he's not rear he's not ian book who had probably the best game of the season against us and they overall don't have notre dame's uh talent around their the quarterback um so this kind of plays pretty well into syracuse it doesn't uh syracuse's hands it doesn't mean that west virginia doesn't have a plenty of talent they do but they're not uh, the same threat without Greer, though you know I guess he does have Allison will have like a pretty nice complement of receivers with Sills and Gary Jennings, who I think is really flown under the radar because Sills came in with so much um, so much hype and and you know paid it off. He had 15 touchdowns this year. Jennings actually had more yards, uh, a little bit more of a big play threat. While Sills is more of a red zone type guy, uh, and then had 13 touchdowns of his own. So uh, assuming both of those guys are going, that's uh, a pretty nice tandem. 
Um, but this is a tough spot for Allison. It's, it's going to be his first start. Uh, I think it's going to be his first, like, significant action. He only has 10 passes on the year, uh, and I don't think he played at all last year. I assume he took a red shirt as a sophomore. Uh, so it's not the easiest spot to come into considering what Syracuse can bring to the table in terms of a pass rush, as, as we mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, that's really just going to be the key. If Allison can get the ball out, then then they're looking at something through the passing game. But the, the tone's going to be set by by this this run game and what the offensive line can do, and I don't think they're going to be able to do as much uh, without a starting tackle um, you know, available. So McCoy's a good back. Petaway's a good back. Letty Brown is – like, all these guys are good. They, they but, but they don't necessarily look any significantly better than, like, SU's backs. I think, too, when you look at that run-pass split – and this is something that I've, you know, previously pointed out a lot in the uh, play calling breakdowns. Forty-eight of those rushes on the record were, were Greer, um, either taken off, which he did here and there, or sacks. So, like, keep that in mind too. I, I think that's a good point. Yeah, you do end up with a few more passes. I mean, it, not to any significant amount. It's like, it still probably ends up being a fifty-five to fifty-six uh, to forty-five, forty-four, like split percentage-wise. But just something to keep in mind. In general, I, I do just think that SU being so turnover-minded, being so pressure-heavy, uh, is going to be able uh, to beat this team. And, and like you said, I think that motivation factor is so big. Um, usually the teams with, with something to prove and, and the teams that are excited to be where they are and, and want to finish the season strong, like those are the ones that are really able to keep dedicated in practice. Uh, coaching staffs obviously play a part here too. I think that uh, Syracuse's coaching staff is probably very, very anxious to be able to close out the season with a 10th win, uh, carry that into, you know, potential uh, momentum for next season recruiting-wise, uh, what will, will be a potential top 25 spot, um, you know, on the line in the offseason. It's going to be a lot of hype coming with this team um, into next spring, and I think, a, you know, a loss isn't going to derail that, but a, but a 10th win um, is absolutely going to put an exclamation point on all that. 10th win, and I think we almost definitely, we probably have a really nice chance to, uh, make a big impression with some recruits we might not have been involved with earlier. Like, I don't know if it's going to be something to overhaul our 20, you know, 19 recruiting class, but it could really help with 2020. And maybe there's like a guy that we wouldn't have talked to if we only had seven or eight wins who is now more open to us. Um, plus, obviously, Dino's extension, uh, which obviously helps in recruiting and just helps our fan base not lose its mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> any more so than it already will with basketball going the way it has. Plus, uh, I think we'll almost definitely enter next season ranked relatively high. Like, I I would guess we'd easily be in the top 25 for the early 2019 poll, probably, like, in the 20th, 20th range, which is awesome. Um, and then we have a chance to really build on that early next season. So it just all kind of compounds. And while, like, rankings early in the season don't really mean much and, like, a lot of this other stuff doesn't mean a lot, you're trying to play the game and... and recruiting it really is kind of the name of it in terms of like selling Syracuse as this destination program now that you can accomplish really big things at and I do think the 10th win while like it doesn't mean that much more than nine wins there's something about that double digit number to like casual fans who we want to buy tickets uh, for season ticket sales for again recruits which is what this all honestly comes down to uh, donors like it's a big thing so I think we'll all sign for where, where SU is right now in terms of like being able to win this game against West Virginia. Um, and we've heard from West Virginia fans they're not all that amped about this matchup, which uh, probably makes me more confident. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you can usually read a team in, in many ways by by how the, the fan base seems. And I think, you know, in, in this case, 
like the fan base being a little down on it probably indicates a team that's not exactly excited. I think, you know, you pointed out a lot of great stuff around what this could do for recruiting. I, I think that, you know, when, when SU looks at, uh, looks at recruits and, and sees some of the typical, you know, competitors, you know, Pitt, despite the fact that they won the Coastal and the fact that they beat us, still not going to have 10 wins this year. Rutgers, nowhere near 10 wins. BC, repeatedly at seven wins. You know, playing the other programs that we're recruiting against are not going to be able to have a 10-win season um, that, that that they can hang on to. The fact that Dino will be able to, you know, tell kids, hey, you know, if two out of every three years this season, you know, gets us in the orange ball and, like, you know, this that this could be the norm for us. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily agree it's going to be the norm, but, you know, you, you, you stretch the truth a little bit, obviously, to, to, to sell anyone on anything and not just recruits. But tell them, like, hey, like, if this was next year and if you're on this team next year, we're going to the Orange Bowl. Like, that, that that's an awesome selling point, and it's definitely something combined with what is definitely a sizable pay raise and extension that uh, that sets SU up pretty well. Yeah, I think uh, it's hard to – I mean, it's hard to undersell, like, the positives that would come. And the positives of making this game at all and being a nine-man team at all are already big. Like, it doesn't – it definitely doesn't, like, take away from what we've already accomplished, but – you really like get to stack up like the the big uh, tangential victories by getting to number ten and winning this bowl game on national television on Friday after like Friday evening. Just really a huge opportunity. So I'm I'm very pumped that we're that we're we're in this spot at all, and uh, I'm I'm super excited for the game. The most excited I've been for a Syracuse football game in a while, and that's saying something considering like this year was pretty exciting uh, start to finish, which is not something we always get to say with this team. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. I, I'm nervous. I'm excited. Um, it's. I feel like for us, bowl games have usually meant something of late because we've had so few of them. Maybe this feeling goes away, but for me, um, just great to be able to to be, you know, this jacked up about about December football for Syracuse and and to potentially you know extrapolate that feeling out uh, well beyond this season. It'll be a fun off season if we are set to enter uh, as like a you know preseason top 25 program with. Just so much potential, um, a stacked roster of young players, uh, a coaching staff that's probably secured. For, I mean, as, at least as secured as we can think. Obviously, there was that report that uh, from I think a day or two ago that Ohio State had you know on, on their their very they short did. list if they weren't going with Ryan Day. Uh, that report's from the Toledo Blade, I believe. So it's yeah. on the ground down there. That's uh, both a little jarring, but also like if that's caliber. I mean, the, Ohio State's one of those jobs where if he was to leave for it. You just like give him a high five on the way out and said, you know, thanks for coming. Like we were good enough to to get Ohio State its next coach. Yeah, like that's one of the few jobs that will probably like. I I know we haven't heard the contract details yet. Um, We'll probably find those out at some point, I would guess. But if that's the type of job that he's going to get looked at for, like you you hope that his buyout number is quite nice <laughs> and and then you're like you know what you can't if you're gonna lose your dice to the nfl basically any nfl job which we saw with marone um or there's like maybe 10 college jobs that are just like okay and if they have to like really outbid us so be it hopefully you use that money and you you get to pay the next coach more and you get to show that you're like a really attractive uh power five job now um and that's you know a problem that any school like in our in our you know range uh, or that aspires to be like better than we've been uh, has to deal with. So 
you know, if the USC job opens or something, I know we've talked about that one a lot. If they open and they look at Dino, the same thing. Like they're going, they're a big name, and even even then, like I don't think it's a guarantee that he would jump ship. He probably would, but USC has enough issues that it's not a guarantee. But there are just so few of those schools that it's like, and they don't open that often. And when they do open, they have such a different. Uh, way of going about looking at their next coach. Um, it's not always just like a slam dunk who, you know, go hire the one of the hot, like, smaller P5 names. Like, that's often where they go, but it's not all the time. That it's just like, it's hard to worry about it. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% with you there. I think the list, without getting into this full conversation, I think the list is probably Texas, Oklahoma, um, LSU, maybe, um, Alabama, Florida, uh, potentially Georgia, Ohio, Florida, Florida State. Yeah, Florida State, Ohio State, Auburn Michigan. Probably, we'll probably do it because they pay enough. Yeah, Auburn's maybe SC. Auburn's one that actually stares me because they are so close to firing Malzahn. Right. Um, but, but, like, I, but I think that fan base and the boosters are so unrealistic about expectations. They're think, 100%. Yeah, I think that doesn't mean yeah. that they won't offer someone $6 million next year. Oh, 100%. But I, I think Dino, <laughs> Dino might be wise to it. Uh, yeah. So, so, so we'll see there. Um, yeah, SC... I mentioned there's like 10 to 15 and some of them are stretches. Yeah. And that's and a lot the of list. Them, like, with Auburn, like, and, and not just Auburn, even with USC, like a lot of those school, a lot of those jobs have their warts, like on full display too. Right. So like Dino and who knows what Dino's mindset is if he was to get an offer like this. And, and we really couldn't blame him if he was to take it, but a guy like Dino, he's about 58. Um, it probably has one more stop, like one more big shot if he wants to take it at like a huge job and you know maybe he's happy you know just play being at Syracuse only 70 I think we would be happy with that as of this point but if he has one more big shot like he wants to make sure he takes the right one and if you're walking at like Gus Malzahn didn't run out of town a year after winning the SEC West or almost any run out of town a year after winning the SEC West because they don't beat Alabama more than 33 percent of the time like maybe that's not the job you want to go make your one bid last stop like it's and and that that's not that's just one example. So like it's not obvious that he goes and takes it because we really don't know where him, his mind is on things. Because he will never actually reveal that. <laughs> I would very much agree. Um, Dan, anything else before we leave? No, I think we uh, covered everything. Um, hopefully, basketball rebounds. I mean, we're not going to be recording for a while, so hopefully. Uh, everything is chipper and on the up and up. <laughs> I think we'll probably have what like two or three basketball games, and then obviously the bowl game between the next before the next recording. We will. Cool. All right. Uh, on that note, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. Please be sure to donate to Q's Ticks for Kids if you haven't already. And go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com 
and dare to be devoted.